Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the University Support and Success podcast. I'm Andrew Porteous, the award-winning life coach from the Hyperlights community and today I am joined with a powerhouse, an amazing lady that I think all of you should meet. Um, today I am joined by Sheena Wyatt from Kapow. Now she is your business superhero. Now we're going to be talking about some personal things today, um, but I want to let you know now that she is amazing. She gives people motivation, accountability, and she makes sure people's businesses soars so they can get the most out of what they do. So without further ado, I know I've done that as a short intro, but Sheena, tell everyone how you are and where you're from. Oh, bless you, Andrew. That was a great intro. I am definitely pinching that and using that in the future. That's fantastic. I am really, really well. Thank you very much. It is a beautiful, beautiful, sunny and quite warm um, afternoon in deepest, darkest South Lincolnshire. I live just outside a little town called Sleaford over towards the East Coast. And that's where I help business owners all across the world put their underpants on over their trousers. <laughs> I love it. I think there's such a you're so well known with your branding and the way you just hold yourself in general. Like I've been in awe of you since I met you in networking. Um, obviously our mutual connection, Caroline, she swears by you. You are each other's wing woman's or wing man, whatever you want to go with. Um, and I think your brain is just, <laughs> and that's just your physical brain is amazing. Then you've got your book of brain, your wall of brain. Wow. There's a lot of brain um, going on. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of brain. There's a lot of brain. And that's why I was excited that you were um, saying yes to come on. Because I think even though the podcast is aimed at students, I still think some kind of business coaching or life lessons from a business coach actually... Yeah is helpful in any realm. Um, yeah. And we're going to get into it a bit more, but you have, we discussed prior when we were setting up the podcast recording that you wanted to talk about self-image and identity, um, specifically relating to physical appearance, um, linked somewhat to illness and breast yeah. cancer. Yeah. And how that can be affected when you look at things publicly or how people portray things um so could you give us a bit of a background behind kind of what your story is yeah yeah absolutely i can i mean you're right when we spoke about you know what can i effectively what can i add to your podcast um you know for particularly students with regards to to confidence and and really my story is to help them understand that there's always a way through a lack of confidence, particularly if that lack of confidence is related to self-image and some of the things you can't change. So the uh, the bare bones of my backstory with that it refers to my Annus Horribilis, uh, which was the year 2010, um, which, which was a year of very significant personal changes for me. The loss of a parent, which is incredibly hard, um, and also a diagnosis on the 4th of August that year for breast cancer, um, stage two invasive ductal carcinoma is uh, what I was diagnosed with. You never, you never forget the name of the, of the cancer that you're you're told you have, and it ties in, I think, a lot with how your confidence 
you can believe that your confidence identifies you by having confidence in the image that you believe you are giving to others. But when that image is taken away, when that image is, is dramatically and radically changed, in my case, through chemotherapy and surgery, then actually what you become aware of is that that confidence is coming from here and not from here. And when I was, was diagnosed, on the day I was diagnosed, I think in the way that a lot of us do, I'd gone, I'd done all the right things after initially finding something that didn't feel quite right. And I'd seen all the right people. And now I'm at the hospital for what I had convinced myself in my head was going to be just a quick checkup and the all clear. It was fine. There wasn't anything to worry about. And of course, there was something to worry about. And, you know, when they came through and called me back in, I remember thinking, okay, yeah, getting called back in to go and see them again is probably not a good thing. And um, when they very nicely told me um, that I was indeed uh, from that particular moment going to be a cancer patient, I had two questions for the very lovely lady who told me that pit of earth shattering news, really. Um, the first question was, am I going to die? And the second question was, am I going to lose my hair? Well, she said yes to one and no to the other. And I think you can probably work out which way round it was. But from there, for me, was the beginning of having to come to terms and adjust to the fact that the person that I was then was going to become a very different person 12 months later on. And that subsequent 12 months taught me an awful lot about self-image and confidence, which I thought I'd share with you today. Yeah. See, now that's amazing. And thank you so much for being open about it. Um, and personally, from my aspect or my viewpoint, um, thankfully that the yes and no were the right way around because we now still have you. Yeah. And that would be my choice. Um, I'm with you in terms of like, that would be my question as well about hair, mm. because I think for me, my hair is a part of my personality yeah when i tell people it's permed they turn around and like wait what so people love my hair because it's curly and then i had like admit that it's not naturally that way yeah <laughs> and it's kind of and i do it because for me if i don't have to do anything to my hair and it's sorted and fine i can just get up and go it gives me more confidence and it's yeah it's always interesting to analyze that relationship of my physical kind of appearance and hair into how I carry myself and I think yes. that's what your story links to obviously yeah. you didn't have a choice what was happening I obviously would have a choice I'd never shave my head um personally I know we discussed that some people do and sometimes it can be well-intentioned but poorly done yeah. um but yeah it's it's an interesting thing because a lot of people think when they look at appearance they think body weight or size or muscles and you don't think about hair straight away but if you asked anyone it would be massive to them to lose their hair yeah um, I think... and that's why i love that yeah, it, it is. And and I think that one of the things that I wanted to, you know, to share with you when we after we'd had our conversation is, you know, not just not just helping to not, raise awareness is not really what I'm about with the whole, you know, everybody be kind, not, not in that way, but being more aware of some of the decisions maybe that you make and, and some of the actions that you take on a wider level, but also 
sadly, you know, the bare statistic of the world we live in is that one in two of us will get cancer at some stage in our lives. And that is a significantly scary statistic. It, you know, I, hopefully, Andrew, in the conversation, I'm the one, you know, and you're all right. But it is, you know, that that is the statistic. And, you know, some of the treatments that are available now are far different to the ones that I had then. But the, you know, the underpinning thing that you can't escape from from cancer treatment is that it's brutal you know you are effectively really poisoning your body in an attempt to kill what's trying to kill you and that's never an easy journey and so it's very likely that your audience as you know young people today young adults will come across not just ancient people like me you know who are over 50 i mean crikey where's my zimmer frame but you know <laughs> it's highly likely that they will come across people in their own peer group in their own age group people that they know well they've known since they were children who are going to come across this disease and illness in their lives either personally or through their family members and one of the things that that we talked about me sharing is how to help them with their confidence, but also just being aware of your actions around them. And it's also, I suppose, as well, just to share what it was like for me, because there are so many misconceptions about, you know, how chemotherapy affects people, affects their confidence, affects their self-image. And, and this sounds very sort of, you know, trite. It does affect everybody differently, but there are certain things that if you are supporting somebody, whether that's very closely or in a peer group, what have you, that if you get an idea of what to look for, you can get an idea of, of how to make people aware that you're there to help and support them if they want it. And, and that really is my first little bit of advice is just stand back a little bit and just be aware that when things are very new and very raw, quite a lot of the time you might feel pushed away by the person who it's affecting and that's not necessarily that they don't want you to help or support it's probably because they just don't know what they need at that point they are desperately trying to process all of this frankly overwhelming quite scary information everything is happening very very fast you know and you're, you kind of feel like your feet aren't touching the floor you know that you're sort of being propelled along by a fantastic you know, medical support system who was completely focused on trying to get you the treatment that you need as soon as they can possibly get it to you. And that can just feel like you are hanging off the back of a bus, you know, and you have no idea where the bus is going. All you know is it's going really quite fast and you can't slow it down and you're not entirely in control of the steering wheel. And that can just be a bit, well, frightening. So, you know, my first sort of piece of advice as we go through this conversation today is don't take it personally if somebody doesn't immediately respond to you wanting to help and support there's a lot going on in here there's a lot going on in the brain where they're trying to you know to get somehow some understanding of what's going on so don't don't take that that personally first of all but also just be aware that everybody's journey is going to take a different pace Mine was super fast because my cancer was really, really aggressive. So things had to happen very, very quickly. Um, when people start treatment, there is an idea that it's almost like somebody flicks a chemotherapy switch. And, you know, if chemotherapy is the treatment you start with, that you kind of go in for your first chemotherapy treatment and somebody like goes, boof, and all your hair falls out all at once. And then, you know, you're on a and that doesn't happen. Some of the people I went through treatment with didn't lose their hair at all. Some of the people who I went through treatment with 
were not sick. I was I was lucky. I never suffered with sickness. Some of the people that I went through treatment with couldn't stop eating. <laughs> um, you, you know, every every bit is different, but every person is struggling with the same idea of identity and self-worth and trying to learn who this new person is. If you've had to have surgery, physically, you are going to look different after you've had treatment. So how can you help people? You know, how, how can you help them with their self-image and confidence? And the first thing that, um, that I would say, and I'm gonna tell you a little story about it in a minute, is just keep treating them like you did before they found out that this thing was happening to them because it's happening to them and they're trying to process it. And so just treat them the same to begin with and then see if you like where the next steps come after that. Yeah, I think, so to put that into like my experience, we have a friend that's just had, um, is it a mastectomy? Mastectomy, yes. That's it. Um, so obviously physically there is one breast and no breast. So yep. for me visually, I was a bit shocked because I hadn't seen her due to lockdowns and everything. So it was the first time seeing her. Um, and I remember in my brain, I was like, oh, cause I had forgotten that she had gone through it because it's been that long since we've spoken. And then my brain kind of turned around and said, nothing's changed she's still the same person so i didn't yeah. acknowledge it i didn't treat her any differently i just kind of carried on and then she made a joke about it later and then i realized that it was open to talk about but i didn't instantly and i don't know whether that's just my demeanor my coaching background or anything like that i just didn't and it links to what you said you almost don't treat anyone differently unless well i guess unless they ask you and I think that your experience is a great one because your your friend has taken the same approach that I do. Um, you know, I had a mastectomy. So, you know, what you see on screen is not the same body I had before I went through chemotherapy. And I had reconstructive surgery. And not everybody does that. You know, some people choose, you know, that they don't want to have the reconstruction. Some people are, can't, you know, because of what they've had to have done to remove their tumours and their cancer. Sometimes reconstruction isn't an option. Um, but I, I joke about mine because, you know, quite frankly, it's funny because, you know, I am I am a 51 year old woman. One of my breasts is 51 years old. The other one isn't. So they don't look the same. And, you know, and going swimming is entertaining because I have one personal flotation device, which is sort of up here somewhere. And the other one is doing its own thing. It's if I wasn't going to laugh about it. I don't actually know how I would be able to deal with that. We spoke about her earlier, um, you know, our very good friend, Caroline Andrew Johnston. The first time I saw her at a regional leaders meeting for a networking organisation we're both familiar with um, post-surgery, she made a joke about something getting on her tits. And I just said, well, at least you've got two, you know, two to get on your tits. You know, I've only got one carrying the load. And she had that initial moment of thinking she offended me you know that kind of thing but I went it's like mate it's the you know it's the reality one of these is a beautifully constructed fake boob the other one isn't <laughs> and the nice thing is that you know if you've got that nice if you can have that approach to it if you choose to take that approach to it not only does it help you with your confidence effectively you know what my body was broken I had to do this kind of stuff to fix it and 
part of that is that part of me is not as it was. You know, it, it's a fake boob. Um, you, you know, let's all just embrace that because in the biggest scheme of things, it's a fake boob on somebody that's still around to joke about it and live the tale. Not everybody feels that way. So, you know, some women who go through that treatment um, are take years and sometimes never come to terms with the fact that it's not the same body that they had before they went into treatment. I simply chose not to look at it that way and just thinking, okay. And honestly, Andrew, one of the most surreal conversations with my husband during treatment, you know, diagnosis, initial surgery, was sitting in the consultation room at York Hospital, because we were living up there at the time, with a tray of silicon implants being asked to decide which one I wanted. It was bonkers. You know, it's like, um, well, I don't know, you, you know, and, and literally the two of us are holding silicon implant boobs, you know, and do, do we like this one? You know, do we like that? And, and eventually I just went, this is crazy. You, you know, there's no point in me having anything that's any different to the one I've got left, or that's just going to look stupid. So, you, you know, tell me what to do. And I think when it comes to confidence, is also realising that for people going through it, so many decisions are taken away from you that when you get faced with a decision, you quite often just go into massive overwhelm of, I, I, you tell me, you know, whether or not it's choose the boob you would like or, you know, choose the kind of surgery you want. Your head's exploding with too much information. So if you know somebody going through that particular phase of treatment, whether it's a breast cancer or any other kind of cancer treatment that involves surgical alteration, just be aware that their head is just doing this and getting them to make a decision about things sometimes might produce unexpectedly emotional result because they've got so much going on and that they're trying to decide either the right thing to do or they've been given 18 different things to, you know, to think about from their consultant. You might get an unexpectedly emotive response that could be somebody you wouldn't normally expect to burst into tears to burst into tears. It could be somebody that you would normally expect to come out all fists flying, you know, how dare you, to suddenly go very, very quiet. Um, you could end up with somebody choosing silence as the option because they simply can't process and deal with the information. And all of that is okay. And if you're you know, thinking about how you can help and support somebody going through that part of the process, just keep plugging on, just keep letting them know that you're there, keep letting them know that when they're ready to ask for support or, or need to vent, you know, or need to have that good cry that, you know, whichever combination, one, all blend it is that you're prepared to give, you just keep letting them know that you're there and give them that confidence that your door is always open to them but you're also recognizing that they're only going to come through it when they're ready. Wow. This is so obviously I love that you're giving these tips and I'm like taking them in as well, but the benefit that this is going to give to the community I want to build. And like, I've known someone when I went to uni drop out because of a cancer diagnosis and to think about, if I interacted with them correctly when it happened or like, there's a lot of reflective work that you could do might, well, I could do, but also thinking about university students now that are going through something like that and their friends are going like around them and not really knowing what to do. 
and it's and I know obviously some people have experienced it with their family so they may be more comfortable with it when it's a peer or someone at uni or college or sixth form whatever so these tips that you're given I just this is why I think you're amazing um <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've not had a guest on this podcast yet that I haven't been like speechless from um so I'm gonna ask now and this could be controversial to our listeners or to anyone listening to this um fundraising and people shaving their heads yeah <laughs> should we should we discuss that because I know I know I find it difficult when I see that happen that isn't for a cancer charity mm. so I, I know people at uni have done it for the Samaritans which in my head doesn't make sense and shaving your head when it's not to go towards charity where that happens it seems like it's well-intentioned but misdelivered yeah. yeah um so what are your thoughts on the act of shaving your head for fundraising and stuff like that now i'm going to try and say this in a very polite and constructive manner don't um and i don't actually i'm going to be much more i'm going to be much more expansive about that what trips my trigger um, and it's just my trigger, what trips my trigger about people shaving their heads to raise money for charity is when it's treated like something that is fun. Because if you're doing it for a cancer charity, let me tell you right now, it is not fun. The day that you have to shave your head because it's falling out in clumps, because you are getting up in the morning and there is more of your hair on the pillow than there is left on your head, that each time that you touch your head, you're taking handfuls of hair away. That each time you get out of the shower or the bath, there is inches of your hair in the bottom of the shower or the bath. The most upsetting day in the whole of my cancer treatment was when my husband had to shave my head. And, and I remember kneeling over the bath at home and he was using his clippers, bless him, and he's shaving my head because... It got to the point where it was so itchy for me with it all coming. I just said, I just need it gone. And I remember running my hand over the back of my head as he'd done it, kind of whole, hadn't missed anything, getting up and turning around. And we're in the bathroom. So I turn around and what, of course, I see is my reflection in the bathroom mirror. It was the one and only time I cried at that point, because at that point, I just thought, oh, Jesus, there is now no escaping it. I, I am a cancer patient. I, I now can't pretend that I'm not, which though I never did, suddenly having that visual reality of it's happening to you, Sheena. You know, you're on your second chemotherapy treatment. You've got one boob left. You all your hair has fallen out. And this is the reality of what you're looking at. And it was an incredibly sobering moment. Ollie and I both had a bit of a sob. And then it was like, right, come on, you know, big girl pants on, because there was for me. I'm not a wallower. And it was like, okay, if that was upsetting, it was a lot more upsetting than I thought it was going to be, accept it, now get on with it. So one of the reasons that I find head shaving for charity that is, whether it's a cancer charity or not, that I find is, frankly, in my mind, a little bit disrespectful, is 
seeing their videos and the footage of somebody laughing away as they're having their head shaved and just thinking, I challenge you to find any cancer patient who is laughing whilst they are having to have their head shaved. But let me give you a different idea or a way to look at it. If that is something that you would like to do because you think it's going to show solidarity, and I certainly know of some people who have had their head shaved at the same time as the cancer patient is choosing to have their shaved for charity. That is a lovely gesture of support. What I would ask you to do, if you're going to do that, have some respect for the person who is having to have this done, but think about what you're going to do with the hair. Because there are many, many charities out there that make wigs for people going through cancer treatment. And the thing is, so many of them really struggle to get decent donations of human hair, particularly human hair that is difficult to match. Children's hair is a completely different texture to those of us who are grown-ups. Ginger hair, really difficult to find authentic ginger or red-headed wigs for cancer patients. The same with grey hair. Now, a very good friend of mine who happened to be completely involved in the cancer and diagnosis process because he was the one who took the phone call at the squadron and had to bring my husband to the hospital, has red hair, red, curly, wild man of Borneo hair. And so last year he grew it. I mean, bless him. You know, he grew it. He looked like he'd put his finger in an electric socket. And, um, and then he had it cut off and he donated it to charity. So whereas it might trick my trigger that I just think, please, would you have some respect for the cancer patient who doesn't have a choice, who isn't going to sit in the chair and laugh whilst their head is being shaved? If you feel that is something that is right for you to do, to raise awareness and to raise funds to fight cancer, please have the respect, but then think about what you're going to do with the hair, because you could help so many more people by not just raising money, but also by donating the hair that you shave off. Wow. Um, so obviously to anyone listening, I've got a producer in the background um, with me and he's messaging me to like check how the stream's going as we're recording this. And the message he's just sent me is amazing person, how powerful. And that is from someone that's never met you before. Uh, doesn't I didn't give him an intro of who you were. I just said Sheena's coming. Um, he, didn't, he didn't really know who you were. And that's why I love that I've got you on my podcast and I'm so glad that it's going to go out and oh, but so we've we've talked about all of that and I'm gonna I might make little clips of you talking about that to put out as well because I think that would be quite good to get out in little bite-sized bits yeah um but to kind of look forward now that you've touch wood you're fine and we've got you for the rest of however long we will keep you because we will club together and give you any care to make <laughs> sure that we have you for as long as we can um because i know caroline would club in with me as well like we'd keep you regardless you don't have an option you stay in <laughs> um what's what's on the horizon for kapow for sheena anything going on Oh my goodness, how long have you got? So, uh, you know, I think <laughs> the, 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 first, the first thing that I would love to sort of dip in and share and that I hope your audience pick up from the, the, the fundamental practical conversation that we're having. I'm, uh, when did I get to 2010? So we're 2022. So, you know, this is my 11th year of being cancer free. And 
last year I stopped taking my cancer drug treatment that I have been taking for over 10 years. I am here to show you that there, thank you. Uh, I am here, to, I'm physically here to show you that there is a way to get through this bastard thing. If it, you know, if it happens to you, if it happens to a friend, you know, you can get through it. A cancer diagnosis does not have to be the end of something. Sometimes it can be the beginning of something. And, you know, the my cancer treat, my cancer diagnosis, sorry, as I say, in my Anna's Horribilist, I lost my father at the beginning of the year. I had my cancer diagnosis in August. I had the barefaced wonderfulness of turning 40 in the November. Yay. It was all, you know, turning 40 was fine. But the turning 40 bit actually was just thinking, do you know what? I've got one of two choices here. I let cancer define who I am or I tell it to jog on twinkle and I get on with my life. And so I did the latter. And so can you. And if you're doing that by giving support and helping people with their confidence, celebrate the little wins, you know, as they're going through their treatment, when they get to that middle treatment and it's like, I'm halfway through, it's like, celebrate that, celebrate that with them however they like. You know, if they're on Facebook going, why can I not stop eating Haribo Fantastics, which was my thing, buy them, buy them some, you, you know, all those sorts of things, buy them a bobble hat, I was forever cold. What I'm getting at is help them celebrate the little successes, the little wins. You have no idea how important that is because everything is a bit doom, gloom and misery when you're going through the cancer mill. But when you come out the other side, you then have a choice and it comes back to my choice. What is going to define you? What is going to define you going forward? Is it what you've just left behind? Are you going to continue looking backwards? Really? Maybe you should think, right, okay, how has that defined me? What have I learned from it? What am I going to take from that going forward? So how has it defined me? Well, it's defined me in a number of ways that are quite unexpected. People think I'm brave, not brave. There's nothing brave about going through cancer. You don't really have a choice. You either fight it or you don't fight it. But there is a different way that you can choose to go about fighting it. And I chose to do it with humour as much as I could because that's what helped me keep upbeat. Um, what happened afterwards? What happened during it? You know, I carried on working. I was running an international uh, training consultancy, which feels like a lifetime ago now, um, <laughs> you, you know, sending people all across the world. So I carried on doing that. I could have stopped. I could have chosen to stop. But I just thought, no, you know, this is what I love to do. This is what I, I want to keep on doing. Fast forward to now. And, you know, the, the people that I have met and that I have known since that diagnosis, many of them are part of the networking organization we talked about. And, you know, as part of, of that and all the differences and things that we've we've seen over the past two or three years in business, it's enabled me to to look with clear eyes about what I want. You know, before treatment, I think I would have bubbled along quite happily doing what I was doing, but was then thinking, actually, you know, does this international training consultancy thing float my boat? No, not really. Am I a bit bored of it? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do about it? There's the thing. What are you going to do about it, Sheena? Well, I'm going to change that because I can, because I have the power to do that. So I sold that asset and started business coaching for full time uh, without trying to do two things at the same time, because that's what I love. So as part of that whole confidence thing, if you've got people that are coming out of their cancer journey and they're going, do you know what? I'm going to set up in business as an underwater basket weaver. Go, yay, crack on, because it's part of that journey. It's part of them regaining their confidence. What that means for me now is that, you know, when I'm working with ma the majority of the, the clients I work with are small business owners. Now, 
some of your audience, you know, as students at the moment might be wondering what they're going to do after university. They may be actually a bit worried about what their op their options or their opportunities are after what the last few years of, of COVID and lockdown has done to, you know, education system, the way that degrees have been able to be carried out or not. There is, you know, confusion I have, um, you know, to young adults in my life, one of whom is coming towards the end of his university degree and one is just about to start it. My nieces and nephews are the same. There's uncertainty. Why am I saying that as a 52 year old ancient woman? Because you actually have the power to do whatever you like. And if you're thinking, I might actually want to go and learn how to do underwater basket weaving, do it. There is no law these days that says you have to come out of education and go into a nine to five office based job. Many of us, including me, have multiple income streams. Many of us choose to work for ourselves. Some of us choose to do that completely independently. Some of us choose to do that by becoming part of organisations that give us a platform to do that. Some of us choose to have a part time slash full time job and do the same thing. My point about all of that is to listen to this as well as listening to this. You have the power to do whatever you want with your life, whether you are lucky enough to go through your life, not meeting anybody who has cancer, not meeting anybody who has cancer related body confidence issues or self image issues. Your self image issues and your body confidence issues and your self confidence issues can all come down to how you feel about your choices and your decisions. And if you have a great network of your peers and your friends and family and those that you're connected with who you know are going to give you love, support, advice when you need it. My key message to you is ask for it. Oh, you're just, oh, and I'm pretty sure like, so oh, this is just going to help. Like the amount of sound bites I can get out of this. I'm just so excited. And the little clips I can make. Sheena, you are amazing and i know this episode is probably going to be shorter than most because we've delved in or we'll dove into quite a big topic in a smaller amount of time but i think even with it being shorter than our normal episodes the value and the energy you put into anything like you could do five minutes and change <laughs> someone's life in my opinion um and I'm just like, I'm going to need to rewatch this a few times. I'm sure my producer is going to have to watch this a couple times. And I'm hoping everyone else watches this a couple times um, because you are phenomenal. Thank I'm you. glad you're, you're with us and I'm connected with you. Thank almost thank God that the last couple of years have happened because if they didn't, we might not know each other. We would not have met. Um, which is scary to think about. Yeah. Um, that is quite scary to think about, actually. <laughs> um, but I know how important your time is, so I don't want to take too much of it. Um, and oh, I don't even know what to say now. You've completely, like, you've inspired me enough that I am speechless. Um, well, my job here is done then, Andrew. If, I, <laughs> if I've rendered you speechless, that is a win for me today. <laughs> oh, you are just brilliant. And um, I cannot wait to see 
how Kapow and all those people that you're helping just succeed so much. And I'm glad that I'm surrounded by it to be able to see that. Um, cause obviously the mutual connection we have as well, the fact that you helped towards the community she's built. Yeah. That has helped me. It's helped you. It's helped like nearly probably a hundred people yeah. at least. Um, and if you can have an influence like that, I will probably be in contact soon. Uh, <laughs> <Good> boy. <laughs> um, because I need to, but just like in my head, and I'm, I'm going to go slightly spiritual about this. I think, and I hate to say it like this, but the universe gave you that struggle to get yes. you through it, to help all of us. Yeah. There's and a reason there's that method. there's the cliche. Yeah. You know, the cliche that says what doesn't kill you, make you stronger. There's a reason behind that. And, you yeah. know, you can, it's your choice. You know, how you, how you respond to challenge, how you respond to overcoming that challenge, that's, that comes from here. And, you know, everybody does it differently, but there is a reason why we say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You just have to learn from that lesson, take it forward and make sure that you just continue to live your best life, being your best you. Oh, you're just, I got goosebumps when you started talking then. Like, that's the extent of this. Oh, <laughs> we're going to have to talk more often. Um, <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for coming on. I am going to um, stop the recording in a minute. But everyone that's listening, please do go check out Sheena. I will put her kapowme.com link below. I'll put her social links below. Um, connect with her wherever you can. Um, and if you're looking for a business coach or just some tips and tricks about starting a business, if you're at uni and want to do that, do reach out to Sheena. She is phenomenal. The results she gets people are phenomenal. Like, let's be honest. Um, and yeah, hope to see you in the Kapow Hub very soon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll drop all your stuff below and make sure everyone to drop a like, a comment and share this with your friends, family, lecturers, universities, whatever you want to share it with um, on whatever platform you are on. And we will see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Sheena, for being here. You're welcome.